Hey guys, welcome back to the College Age Movement podcast, or if you're joining us for the first time, thanks for checking it out. We are in week uh, two of our series titled The Minor Prophets. And what this is, is we're looking at minor prophets from the Old Testament. There's 12 in total. Uh, over the course of the next few weeks, we won't touch on every single one of them, uh, but I'd really encourage you to, to check out all these different stories um, through the Old Testament. And last week we talked about the prophet Hosea, and we, we talked about the book of Hosea is 14 chapters long, um, and there's these themes that are uh, in three individual sections, but then there's an overarching theme too. But one of the things that we talked about is, are we people who flatter God or are we people who actually follow God? Are we people who are just giving lip service to God or are we people who are genuinely wanting to be followers of Jesus? And this week, we're going to be talking about the book of Joel, which was written to the people of Judah, a part of the nation of Israel that split off at one point in the nation's history. And uh, I don't know about you, I've been following Jesus for a really long time, and I've read my Bible quite a bit. And uh, the book of Joel is just one of those things where when you think about your favorite books of the Bible, I don't know a lot of people who throw out the book of Joel, uh, but... Man, three chapters is the, is the entirety of the book, and it is just jam-packed with really, really incredible content, and so I'd really encourage you to read the entire thing, but we are going to look at two verses today, uh, Job chapter 2, verse 12, and verse 13, and so we're just going to look at those. There's two main points that I want to pull out in a, in a couple sub-points here, and so uh, Job chapter 2, verse 12 says this. It says, even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. So the first point this week is return. Return. And I don't know about you, but when I hear return to God, I feel like that it's meant for people that have walked far away. I think about the story of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with it. That's... That's what I think about somebody who who left their father, who left God, did incredibly sinful things, who lived in all of these these ways that that would would quote unquote put them far from God. <clears throat> but what I think we have to realize is that distance is not mentioned; it just says return to me. And I would challenge you and and all of us to think of returning as something that is to be done daily. I think about what returning means to me in my day-to-day life. And one of the easiest examples for me is if I'm having a hard day at work, even working at a church, shockingly, we're human. And so you get irritated with coworkers or situations or, or whatever, and you're just not having a great start to your day. And I get to go home for lunch and see my wife and my three kids. And man, returning home and being able to reset with the people that I love the most is absolutely incredible. It is such a joy for me to step back into the environment of where I can rest and recalibrate and just uh, be with those people. And so we need to be people who don't think about returning to God when we've done something really, really bad or, or we've made that mistake for the 500th time or whatever, but people who just say daily, I want to have a posture of returning to the Lord. Now, is there absolutely a call to return to God when we have wandered a long way off? Yeah, absolutely. Is he always waiting for us to come home? No question. But would we be people who return to God daily, weekly, monthly, or maybe it would be for the first time? And would we lay our mess, our daily mess at the foot of Jesus and say, I need you to help me reset. I need you to help me recalibrate. What I love about this verse is that the first two words of this verse say, even now, even now. No matter the distance, no matter the mess up, no matter how long it's been, even now, no matter what, 
return. He is here for it. And would we be people who understand that there is nothing that we cannot return from? We can always be people who return to our Father. And when we return, how are we supposed to do it? And in this short, simple verse, there there are these three ways that it lays out for us on how we should return. And the first one would be this, with all of our heart, with all of our heart, not just part of it. We return to God, bringing everything to him. Authentic surrender is so important when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We aren't revealing anything to him. He already knows. There's there's nothing that we're going to bring to God and say, hey, I did this thing and you missed it. And I just thought that you should know that I messed up in this way or this is going on in my life or whatever. We're not revealing anything to God. He knows everything. But the posture of putting everything on the table is for our benefit, not his. See, one of the things that that really stood out to me over the last couple of weeks is we've been in the middle of our high school camps and our junior high camps and kids camps and six straight weeks of camp. And a couple of weeks ago at high school camp, man, I had a student who came up to me and had been carrying something for uh, the better part of his life, um, a decade. And when he told me, I didn't get anything out of that. Like that wasn't for my benefit. Him sharing tragedy, him sharing burden wasn't for my benefit. It was for his. He got it off his chest. And for the rest of the week, I got to see him walk. He just looked like he was physically walking different. Like the weight had been lifted off of his shoulders. Like we've all been there. We've carried a burden for so long and then finally told somebody and we get to get that off our chest. And we're like, why did I carry that for so long? That was unnecessary weight that I was putting on myself. The call for us is to be people who understand that Jesus wants all of our mess, that Jesus wants all of our, our confession, Jesus wants all of our all of our things, good and the bad, and that we, we be people who put that at the feet of Jesus and don't carry around the unnecessary weight. When he says with all of our heart, it means all of it. It means all of our being, all of our soul, all of our all of our mess and all of our success. That we would be people who put all the good stuff and all the bad stuff at the feet of Jesus and say, hey, this this is something that I want you to help me with. It means that we're surrendering our gifts and our talents. It means that we're surrendering all of our things for his purposes, which only seems fair considering he gave us those things in the first place. Recently, I was reading in uh, just my personal devotions, the book of Job, and, and the story of Job is absolutely crazy. He has everything, and then he loses everything. And the the question or the the call from the other human beings in his life is like, shouldn't you just be so, like, you should be so mad. And he says, I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave this world with nothing. Everything that I lost was something that God gave me in the first place. I'm going to praise him anyway. And that is such an incredible perspective. Would we be people who understand that our lives are a gift from God and then in turn our guy, our lives should be a gift to God? A gift from God and then a gift to God. The second way that we return is that we return with fasting, with fasting. It doesn't mean just food. Uh, I think that if we grow up in the church, we think of the word fasting and we think of um, taking a, a day or a week away from food or sustenance. And and while that is an absolute way to do that, absolutely correct way to do that. You can also fast from other things. It means anything that we long for so that we can be reminded of what 
is truly important. And food is just such a simple one because we all get hungry. And so when we get hungry, instead of eating that day, we say, okay, well, in this moment where I really want to eat, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God uh, to move in my life. I'm going to ask God to show me ways to move in the lives of other people. That is what fasting is all about. And one of the main points of fasting is to recalibrate ourselves, to reset, to put the most important things first. It helps us reset uh, what is at the top of our priority list. So practical question would be this. What could you fast from that would help you reset your focus? Maybe it is food. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's uh, a gaming system. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's sports. Whatever it may be, what can you fast from that would help you reset your focus on that which is most important, Jesus first, and then allow him to set your priorities after that? The third way that we return is with weeping and mourning. And this means that we would return to God with a repentant spirit, that we would pinpoint where we come up short, recognizing those things will help us get better if we can pinpoint that which is, is causing turmoil in our lives, that which, those areas which we, where we are coming up short. And, and I want you to hear me, though. There's a difference between identification of sin and shame and guilt. Being able to identify where we come up short, being able to identify our messiness is spiritual maturity. But getting stuck in shame or guilt is straight from the enemy. So there is a significant difference being, between being able to identify your sin and to be controlled by your sin and the shame and the guilt that the enemy wants you to carry around with it. So many of us believe that every conversation that we have with God has to be sunshine and rainbows, but to lament is biblical. To identify sin is biblical. Lament is defined as this, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. There's actually an entire book of the Bible based on this. It's called Lamentations. That God thought it was so important that we understand that lamenting, being in grief, being in sorrow, being able to talk to God in our frustrations and in our pain, he is so important for him to, that we would understand that, that he dedicated a, a, a part of the canon of Scripture to it. We have to understand that lamenting is a big part of the way that we communicate with God. We need to be people who bring our frustrations straight to God. Frustrations about ourselves and our mistakes, frustrations about the relationships or the people in our lives, frustrations with God himself. He wants it all. We can be sad. We can be mad. We can be pissed off. Whatever we are, we just need to be honest. God is looking for authentic relationship, and he wants your authentic frustrations as much as he wants your authentic love. What we need to be is people who are willing to lament, willing to be frustrated, willing to be happy and thankful and, and always praising God in all, in all circumstances 100%, but also being honest with him and understanding that there is significant frustrations that happen in our lives. We're a part of a messy, broken world, and we are a messy, broken human being. So obviously, everything's not good all the time. He wants all of it. The second verse that we're looking at is just the next verse, Joel chapter 2 verse 13. And it says this, it says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. God is looking for internal change, not an external show. This is really, really interesting that, that the prophet Joel would say this 
or that God would say this through the prophet Joel at this point in time, because at this point in time in culture, the nation of Judah, the nation of Israel, it was tradition in those times to show repentance through the ripping of clothes and hair. And people would make this big show out of how sorry they were, how repentant they were, how much they wanted to change. And God was calling them to something different. He was calling them out of that. He said, I want you to rend your heart, not your clothes. That means I want you to rip your heart apart. I want you to reset it. I want you to to, to dive into your heart and look at what places need to be fixed. I need you to pull it apart and inspect it. I don't need you to rip your clothes. You see, we aren't called to be people who act like we follow Jesus. We're called to be people who actually follow Jesus. People can tell when we're not being authentic and when our actions don't match our words. We've all had those people in our lives and all of us have been those people at some point. We want to be authentic and we don't want to be people who just say things and never ever back it up with what we actually are doing with our lives. And more importantly than that, God knows the content of our hearts. We cannot trick God into believing that we're actually surrendered to him. He knows if we are actually surrendered to him. One of the biggest mistakes that we make as followers of Jesus is that we spend so much time focusing on looking Christian instead of actually working on becoming disciples. We spend so much time trying to paint an image of ourselves instead of actually being the people that God has called us to be. I think it's really interesting. I hang out with obviously young adults, but high school students all the time too. And people always add me on social media and Snapchat uh, is one of the ones where like I'll look at snap stories and I'm like, holy smokes. Uh, okay. You put that on your snap story. I know what you did uh, tonight or last night or whatever. You got hammered. And then the next morning on their Instagram story, it's a cup of coffee in their Bible. And they're like, hey, this is what I'm doing. The God, you know, God is good. And it's just so frustrating because it's like, wait, wait, on on the, the platform where you think you just have your close friends or or it's like raw, you do one thing. But when you've got all of these followers and in your bio, it says Jesus first, you want to paint an image of yourself that you're this incredible follower of Jesus. And both things can be true. Like you can be messy and, and also an amazing follower of Jesus. That's kind of the majority of us. But if we spent half as much effort into our spiritual practices and into actually following Jesus and becoming disciples as we did painting an image of ourselves, man, we would be so much better off. Spend the time that you are spending. I need to spend the time that I'm spending trying to get people to think something about me and just actually be the thing that God has asked me to be. We should put a ton of energy into being vulnerable with God. We should put a ton of energy into being vulnerable with people. And I think we just need to always be people who are real. We can all agree that we want to be in relationship with messy people who are real, not fake people who have it quote unquote put together. We want to be authentic and we want people to be authentic with us. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that we need to be people who also accept authenticity well. It can be really easy for us to share our mess, but then the second people share their mess with us, we get really creeped out by it because it's different than our mess, or we, we get uncomfortable. But we need to be people who are always prayerful, that we would be gracious, that we would be people who receive authenticity well, that when people are willing to be honest, we would never accept that in judgment, or we would never receive that in judgment, but we would accept it in love. So along with this, there's some characteristics of God listed in this verse that I think will allow us to be people who are authentic, but also people who accept authenticity well. It says that he is gracious, so we should be gracious towards one another. We should have extreme grace and patience with one another. Forgiveness is so key in relationships. He is compassionate. 
So would we be people who show compassion? Would we be people who show empathy, who look into people's situations and say, wow, that's really hard. I can't imagine what that is like. And in the story of Job, this, this story that, that I've been reading in my personal devos, one of the, at the end of chapter two, it talks about his friends showing up after he's experienced all of this sorrow, all of this grief, and they just sit with him with set for seven days and seven nights, and they don't say a word. They don't try to fix it. They just sit with him because they can't imagine how much grief he is feeling. That is compassion. That is the willingness to sit with people and just be around and be people who show up. It says that God is slow to anger, so we should absolutely be people who are slow to anger. And it says that he is abounding in love, that we would be people who have an overflow of love in our lives. So we are always the first people to love and accept and run towards people. Unfortunately, um, summer's wrapping up. And I think we're walking into a new season. And I don't know about you, but but new seasons call for a recalibration of life. And there's this this verse in a song um, that we sing around here. It's called Nothing Else. And the back half of the verse just says, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And I, I just want that to be us as we step into this new season, that we'd be people who go back to the basics, people who open up our heart to be people who are reset, recalibrated, ready to take on this next season. So can I just pray over you, whether you're driving in your car, whether you're sitting in your room, whatever it may be, uh, can I just pray over you um, and and ask God that he would uh, reset, recalibrate us as a community and each one of us individually. Heavenly Father, you are good. We love you so much and we just want to be better disciples of you and we want to be the people that you've called us to be. And for many of us, we need uh, a big button to be pressed. We need to reset. We need to recalibrate. We need to get back to where we started in our relationship with you. Lord, we want to be people who are on fire for you. We want to be people who uh, are on fire for the people around us, that we would understand that you and the people around us are what we're here for. So would you help us uh, reprioritize our lives, give time to the things that we need to give time to, and uh, just invest in people and invest in our relationship with you and understand that uh, we are people who are conscious constantly um, rending our hearts, that we are people who are constantly looking internally and looking at how we can become uh, the people that you've asked us to be towards you and towards the people around us. We want this community and uh, we each want to be individuals who love people extraordinarily, that people would see your love and your grace and your compassion all the time. You are good. We love you. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into the College Age Movement podcast again. We are meeting in person on Tuesday nights. We do have a mask mandate here in Montana, so make sure you bring your mask. But we do meet Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. We would love to have you in person. If you are not in Billings, uh, we hope that this continues to be life-giving and that you see fruit come out of uh, the teachings. And if you need absolutely anything, please know that our family is not just the people who step inside of a church building, but our family is each and every person uh, that we get to interact with. So please reach out if you need prayer. If you need community, we will do whatever we can to provide that for you. We love you guys, and we hope to talk to you really soon.